Welcome to the Texans! And again, watching his skates. Over the middle, it's cut. Akins and the tight end rumbles in for the touchdown. Here's Watson now. Blockers in front. Lowers the shoulder and in. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. We're talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. Football is here. A couple of sleeps to go until the Texans will take on the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead in front of probably the most anticipated sporting event of this year in 2020. I'm delighted uh, to be joined by a, a Houston media member writing for Sports Illustrated, Anthony Wood. How you doing? Not too bad, thanks. Thanks for having me on. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Not too bad. Um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, it feels like it's almost here, which is a bit of a, a bit of a well, a bit of a strange <laughs> feeling. I think, isn't it? I think slowly at one but point, surely, slowly but surely, we're getting there. It's been a let's just. It's been a weird year. Let's leave it at that, I guess. And it's been a. I think this the last four weeks when the pre preseason games would have been. Feels like a long time as well. I think it feels like the players have been at training camp forever, despite having you know a handful of padded practices. It has definitely dragged on a bit. It's been a very strange few weeks. Obviously, it's good to see training camp up and going. It's good to see the COVID element of it all going pretty smoothly by the looks of things. Texans have been taking it very seriously since day one, which is great. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it's taken a lot of getting used to. That's for sure because it's been a strange preseason, to say the least. Yeah, and it's been probably the busiest weekend, as as you'd imagine. But yes, um, yes, over absolutely. the weekend, a and few, the, the, a few cuts we weren't expecting. Yeah, so on the on the fifty three, what do you what do you think then in terms of the unexpected ones, as you mentioned? A biggest surprise for me really was Angelo Blackson. Obviously, with with DJ Reader out, see with the Bengals now, you were expecting Blackson to take a bit of a step up, perhaps this year. I mean, he played what forty percent of snaps the last two seasons. So to lose someone that experienced in this system it is definitely surprising. Um, bringing in PJ Hall, I mean... Yeah, do you not think they look just short at the fit, at, at, on the D-line? I know PJ Hall's, you know, a maybe, but it feels like it looks a bit light there. What worries me a little bit about that D-line is the lack of experience. I mean, I know Charles Amenihue, he had a decent rookie year. He's had a great off-season. I spoke to him a couple months ago and he was really excited for this year. He's taking it really seriously. Um, Ross Blacklock heard nothing but good things so far so that's fantastic really excited to see him he was I'm really glad he fell to us I didn't think he'd fall that far to be honest so excited for those two I know PJ Hall I get the impression he's on a bit of a uh, a bit of a mission to prove himself if anything he's lost a lot of weight since he's come to Houston he's gotten fitter they've been raving about him so that's good news but only I think two of that front six are actually over, um, over the age of 26. Most of them are youngsters. So that's a little bit of a concern. And that's why I was surprised by the Angelo Blackson cut, to be honest. But it's going to be interesting, to say the least, because it's it's a very new front line in that regard. We've not seen a huge amount of Amenihue. We've not seen any of Hall in Houston, obviously, especially not being able to see any preseason games or, or the uh, scrimmages. So it's it's a big question mark, that's for sure. Yeah, when you look at that defensive front of Puda, a couple of articles in the last couple of days, and one on the defense, one on the offense outlook, and some of the key questions on podcasttexans.com and go and check those out if you haven't already. Um, and the biggest question I think for the defense is considering, you know, we went from a top five to a bottom 10 run defense last <laughs> year. My, my biggest fear is that that could go south even further. 
it is definitely a concern, especially losing someone like Reader. I mean, he was such an underrated player for the last few years. I mean, since he sort of took over from Will Fork his, what, his rookie year, and he did, he's been fantastic, and he's been so consistent up front as well. I mean, the Texans were never going to be able to afford him with the level he was playing at, with the amount of money they've already got in that defense in particular. They were never going to be able to afford him. So hopefully Blacklock can fill that void. But problem is he's more of a... He's more of a pass rusher than he is a run stuffer. So especially, obviously, losing Clowney last year, who's a great run stuff, I think that was a bit under, underestimated. Um, and then losing Reader as well. And then Blackson leaving as well. Now, obviously, they cut him. But that's three guys who are losing all of a sudden. So it's it's really hard to tell where this run defense is going to go at this point. Um, definitely expecting a lot more from, obviously, Amenahieu, I mentioned before, and also Jacob Martin, they've been raving about him since training camp started. All all the all the news I've heard from him, everyone I've spoken to, that he's by all accounts, he's been playing some really, really good football. So whether he can have an effect on the run game, don't know yet. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I think on this defense, not to digress, you know, too far into previous episodes, but I think we'll come <laughs> on to some questions in a bit. But I think that the worry for me is you've got two guys there in Amenahu and Jacob Martin who are going to have to play roles and con- and contribute in a way that we've never seen them on the field in competitive yeah. action. Look anything like that to be competitive. So the worry for me is that you know that you know we can't rely on Merciless and we can't rely on what's latter stages of their career to contribute in a way. Even if they play, you know, their optimal what they've got left, we're still going to have to have those two guys kicking a lot, you know, a lot of tail in the trenches, down and down out. You know, to pressure the quarterback, um, and we were, you know, we were, you know, chronically bad at pressing the quarterback last year, and pressures, yeah. hurries, and everything. Again, bottom ten, like every pr- pretty much statistic this defense is in. So I think the defense looks on the line. Certainly looks looks light. Uh, I know Big Z uh, is on the practice squad. And yep. I, I think you'll probably see him at some point because he's he's a guy that just needs a bit of time in, the, in a pro setup to. To probably mold and just just the sheer mass of them. Now you know the game's changing, right? You know you remember when we had Will Fork and and Reader up front, and you know you've got you know six almost pushing seven hundred pounds of man, you know in the in the <laughs> trenches. But you know as it becomes a more passing league, I think we, you know you need more athletic linemen, and and it'll be interesting to see. You know you mentioned Blacklock there, how well he holds up against the run, um, because you know for a guy of that weight, he's he's lateral quickness, first step in the trenches. He's got a lot of juice to make things happen. So, yeah, I think there's big question marks there. Um, interesting, slightly, that Jalen Watkins got cut. I think, we, again, safety's a big spot. Um, that we were potentially got got some concerns, I think, in terms of beyond, uh, beyond Justin Reed, because you're counting on A.G. Moore and then, obviously, Eric Murray's on the, on that big deal, the, the guys that we, we yes. probably question. I, I think, but on the on the offensive side of the ball, I thought it was interesting. Greg Mance was a big one, and then Jordan Thomas as well. Obviously, he's got now been picked up by the uh, Arizona practice squad. Definitely, I mean, Greg Manx, I wasn't necessarily expecting it, but you definitely got the vibe that he was on the bubble simply because he's he's had his injury problems this last year or so in particular. That Texans offensive line, it's looking good. I mean, I love the starting line. I think they've got a lot of promise there, and they proved a lot of that last year. I know they still allowed, what, 44 sacks in total, which is nowhere near good enough, but they took a big step in the right direction considering they had two rookies in there. They had a left tackle who'd only been in there for a matter of weeks when he started. So I I have a lot of – I'm really optimistic about this offensive line. There's a lot of promise there. There's a high ceiling for most of these guys, and I think – 
whilst I must admit I was really baffled by the drafting of, of Charlie Heck, I do like the addition. He's a very coachable guy. He, by the sounds of things, he's a very versatile guy. So he's a good backup to have on that line there. And I think I'm a lot more confident about this line this year than even last year, to be perfectly honest, because we know what to expect from Sharping. We know what to expect from Howard. And even the backups, I mean, Calamente is a decent backup to have. I mean, Sharping can be moved to center if they need him to, if something were to happen to Martin, who, who himself had a, a good year last year, by all accounts. I mean, I was, must have been surprised at how well Nick Martin played last year. Apparently, a contract extension was all it took for him to take his, take his um, game up a level. But, for you, yeah, I mean, it was surprising, but it's going to be an interesting one. And Manx being cut at the end of the day. They've got him on the practice squad. It gives him time to heal more than anything. Um, and they've got him there if they need him. But the, Jordan Thomas was a little bit more surprising because he, he'd been in and out of, of training camp a little bit. One day he was injured, the next he wasn't. The expectations obviously were higher because people were expecting him to bounce back this year after a disappointing second year. I loved what I saw from his rookie year. A great size, good speed, you know, built like anything. I mean... He's exactly what you'd want in your tight end, especially if you're looking at eventually replacing someone like Darren Fells, who is, what, 31, 32 at this point. He, he, he looked, he, he looked yeah. like a great replacement, but I just I worry if the attitude is there. That's my biggest question mark. And I do really like what we see from Kahale Waring. I know Darren Fells spoke about him earlier today, saying, you know, he's, he's taken big step forward. There was never any doubts about his talent. We're looking forward to seeing a lot from him this year. And he's going to be a really interesting player to look out for this year. So a little bit surprised he didn't end up back in Houston. Um, I don't know if he turned down a practice squad spot there or not, but that's that's it's an interesting one. Am I shocked by either of them? I don't think so. Um, there weren't really any shocking cuts, I don't think, apart from perhaps Blacklock to an extent. Yeah, I think I predicted 49 out of 53. I think not not because I'm particularly good at predicting them, but I think <laughs> it was I think it was reasonably straightforward what the roster was going to be and actually, you know, bar a few weaknesses that we touched upon there, I don't think there's too much areas of concern for this team. But what but what was interesting Jordan Thomas, you think from his point of view, obviously he must have had his nose out of joint because if you think the easiest way you can go and contribute is is in the same system that you've been in for a number of years as a you know a guy who's not played many snaps, missed all of year two. And to go to a spread Cliff Kingsbury-style system and try and get snaps in that when he's not the most mobile for a tight end. No. It's is is an odd one, I think. <laughs> and I so I think I think maybe the constructive criticism you like Bill O'Brien's probably maybe got to him on too many times. But it's a strange one. I think, you know, I think Kahali wearing, you know, it's he's you know he's the, the next well I hope he's not but he's like the next Lonnie Valentine you know he ticks all the boxes but I've never seen him do anything so I, if, I if, loved him coming out of college I mean his, his tape was brilliant and he's looked good when we have seen him in training camp this year he's looked really good well that that was the, that was the thing last year when he got injured you know the you know the 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 reaction was, you know, when we joint practices against Green Bay, you know, it was like this kid's got something special. Yeah, um, watch out! And he's a he's a really good hybrid, I think, between Fields and between Aitkins. You've got Aitkins, who, who's the move tight end. Fells faded, I think, badly last year on the on the uh, on on the blocking front, and he continued to, you know, he had his worst game against Buffalo in the playoffs. He didn't look great. He's 34 now, I think. So he's, he's, he's kind of, you know, he's at a stage where I thought, you know, 
if Thomas was going to make the roster, we'd have had to beat out fouls. But returning seven touchdowns last year, I don't think that was going to happen unless he learned how to block. And I think that's what it came <laughs> down to ultimately was Jordan Thomas for this, you know, for six feet yeah. six, six feet seven years. He needs he needs to block block. And if you watch Hard Knocks, Anthony Lynn talked about blocking is just attitude. So yeah, I think it comes down to attitude. So as we said, not too many, not too many concerns of it. One concern I would say, I think particularly um for this defense, particularly going to Kansas City on Thursday night, is uh, Gannon Connolly on IR. Yeah. Only three weeks this year with the, the change rules. But what do you think Connolly's impact? Obviously, Lonnie Johnson is going to have to step up big time and show you know all this off-season videos he's been putting out is is going to you know translate to to you know productive football. Definitely, and Gary O'Connolly was definitely a, a surprise in terms of his move to IR because I don't think anyone really saw it coming. Everyone I spoke to was they were expecting Philip Gaines to end up on IR. Obviously, he's had his injury problems as well recently, so I think they were expecting him to be moved to IR and then and then Connolly still to start. So that really came out of nowhere. I don't I didn't hear anything coming about that. So that's a big loss for the Texans. I know a lot of people are expecting big things from him this year. I mean, he fits better in this system than he did in in I guess Las Vegas now. He's he's a player they're expecting a lot from, and he definitely would have been a starter otherwise. So that is a big concern losing someone that is that good in in press coverage, in particular against you know Tyreek Hill and, and and that receiving core in particular. It's going to be difficult. Lonnie Johnson, I do think, has taken a step forward. Again, by all accounts, everything I've seen, everything I've heard, he's taken a step in the right direction. He's he's been working incredibly hard this off season, and he is extremely driven to do well. I do expect a bit of a jump from him this year. Whether it's enough to really take a step up to what you would class as that sort of starting caliber i don't know at this point it would the thing is especially not being able to see preseason games it's really hard for us to tell exactly where these guys are playing in terms of what level they're at so lonnie johnson suddenly got a much bigger role than we'd expected i mean he was already going to have a, a bigger role this year but the guy in particular that's going to have to step up is john reed i think the rookie now i'm looking forward to seeing a lot from him i think they got a good sleeper pick there he's not he, he's not necessarily a a star in the making at least at this point in time. But I spoke to his head coach at Penn State just after he was drafted, and he could not stop raving about him, about his attitude, his work ethic, about how hard he wants to be the best he can and how much work and time he puts into it. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him because, again, he's one of those players. I think him, Amenahue, and Jacob Martin are the three guys that everyone kept talking about throughout training camp this year as these guys have really surprised us they've really taken a step up and really uh, really matured in their roles very quickly especially for three younger guys so John Reed is, is going to have to take up a big role in this defense now because I don't think we can rely purely on on Roby and Lonnie Johnson no I think yeah it's it, yeah I think in Vernon Hargreaves if he can you know find some find some sort of if he can find some consistency that would be great yeah. Yeah, I think he had a couple of good games last year. You know, it's difficult to to, yeah. to change the team in the season, find a new system. So I, I don't know where, where where the secondary lies, but I think we'll have a good idea on Thursday. <laughs> but you know, um, you know, pretty quickly. Um, and well, something else we, you mentioned that I, I forgot to mention earlier. Something that's going to be interesting, I think, is seeing JJ. I reckon I would not be surprised at all if they moved him inside in the line a bit more often than than in previous years. Obviously, he was. I mean, what second team All Pro defensive tackle a couple of years ago I would not be surprised at all with with the talent that they have got in say a Menahue perhaps using using um Ross Blacklock as a defensive end that they move JJ Watt in as more of a run stuffer at times it wouldn't be surprising at all but also moving into that more pass rushing defense in terms of the the players they've got isn't necessarily surprising because by all accounts 
Anthony Weaver, defensive coordinator, is he's a very aggressive coach in terms of his style. He wants a really aggressive pass rushing defense. He wants to go all out. So it it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be a very different defense from what we've seen in previous years. I think it could definitely be a lot more aggressive up front than it has been under Cronell for the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think I've been talked about that a few times. Probably my biggest criticism of what has not been what his, or his lack of willingness to move inside at times. And that was probably Cornell's feeling about, well, you know, probably come on to uh, a former <laughs> player landed in a division. But, you know, you, the use of those three pass rushers never yeah. quite worked. And that was no. predominantly because, uh, you know, Watt would refuse to move inside and he would sit consistently at the right tackle. But, yeah, I don't think we'll have that luxury this year to do that. Um, and we certainly won't have the luxury of dropping Whitney Merciless into coverage, so which you know another critical special. So yeah, I think that's the biggest X factor that defense can Weaver do more with less is basically what he's been asked to do. Absolutely, but I mean by all accounts, again everything I've heard, Andy Reid was even talking about him recently, saying how good of a coach he is. Obviously, we've heard the comments from Rex Ryan. Bill O'Brien has had nothing but good things to say. JJ Watt yesterday and, and Justin Reid both recently spoke about Weaver and how good of a coach he is and how excited they are to play under his in his defense and how different it's going to look. They both said there's going to be a lot of changes and, and O'Brien said he's trying to put his own stamp on it. So, it, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if he can do more with less. Yeah, and it's probably not a harder test the first two weeks he could have had in the AFC. <laughs> so, uh, well, we'll definitely know. But I think all the reports from the scrimmages, and again, these are selective, and again, they're put out, yeah. I think, a lot of them for a reason. But um, but yeah, he looks like to be creative with his blitzes. You know, and I think that's like A.G. Moore and guys like that that will come from the secondary, and he won't be, he won't be afraid to call people's numbers from the secondary and tertiary level of the defense to come blitz the quarterback, which Cornell didn't really do. You know, very selectively he did that, and predominantly yeah. if we were ahead. So... Yeah, I think that's a lot of questions, um, you know, that could be answered. But yeah, Weaver's got a big task. But look, he, he if you hear him speak, that's a future head coach in my eyes when you hear him speak. To Definitely. He, he's got that that aura about him. He's got that confidence, that knowledge. I mean, he knows exactly what he wants from his players. And he is a really, really smart guy. So that's, that's really exciting, I think. Because Cronell, I mean... Huge respect for the guy. Unbelievable coach. I mean, his his legacy in the NFL is is ridiculous. But his 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 play designs the last couple of years were getting a bit tiresome. And I know a lot of fans and media alike were getting really frustrated with his hesitance to blitz and his constant soft coverage in the secondary, which was just infuriating at times, especially against the Chiefs. It was it was too much. I think they needed that that sort of fresh blood. So that's going to be really it's going to be fun to watch, if nothing else. And like you said. With the, in terms of the secondary blitzing, that reminds me of a couple of years ago, Tyron Matthew and, and Kareem Jackson, both of them, when they were used in that regard, they were both really effective when they were used used to blitz in that sort of situation. So AJ Moore fits that mold quite nicely. So it's going to be a lot of fun seeing him there as well. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of questions to answer. And hopefully Weaver's got some and we'll find out. We'll come back onto the games upcoming shortly um but zach cunningham we never had a chance last week to touch upon zach cunningham's extension 14 and a half million a year four year extension uh, on top of his current year that he had remaining what do you what do you think of that anthony seems like a good deal for a guy who's arguably the best you know the best player in the defense and for my money absolutely he's been underestimated for under underrated rather for a couple of years now i mean he, he's gone under the radar because the texans don't really get the media coverage that they deserve a lot of the time that's obviously a whole other story but cunningham's been fantastic since he came in his weakness has always been 
pass coverage. He's not been spectacular in it. He's improved. He still needs to improve in that area. But his run blocking and his tackling is just fantastic. I mean, he was a tackling machine at Vanderbilt. And now, I mean, he's been the Texans' leading tackler for the last two years. He was in the top 10, I think top six last year. He's such a consistent player. He's always there. He's always on the ball. He's always healthy. And he, he does his job. He's not one of these players that's very loud and brash. He's quiet. He does his job. He's very much an O'Brien player. He's he, You can move him around. He does his job. He works hard. And, and he sort of keeps quiet off the field. He, like I said, he sort of fits that mold quite nicely. He, he's just been fantastic since he came in. So I'm excited to see some more of him this year because I think he's now second highest paid inside linebacker in the NFL behind Bobby Wagner. So there's going to be bigger expectations on him, on him this year, but nothing he can't handle because it, it was definitely a, a good value deal from Houston's point of view and from his because he gets the money he deserves. Houston gets to keep hold of one of their players without having to set records at the position. Tough, smart, dependable. That's the uh, absolutely that keeps getting thrown out there. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, I think it just came in just after that that ludicrous deal that CG Mosley signed and has never played a yes. game for the Jets. And obviously Wagner's probably in a league in his own because he's you know he's almost as effective against the run as he has the pass, and that's really hard to find. But yeah, it seems like a good deal when you know these deals get quickly outdated. Um, maybe not next year, but the following year when the TV Definitely. contracts get renegotiated, then you know these deals probably will kind of start to look you know more value as time goes on. And then obviously the big one over the weekend and probably a monumental moment I think for the <laughs> franchise. You think all the all the shite we've had to watch for the last few years at quarterback and the and you know the, the Brian Hoyers and the and the, the Brock Osweilers. I mean, Brock, and of course, God. Yeah, and uh, and you and you think you know, and I, 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 there's been so much criticism of this team in the off season. There's yeah, been so much kind of doubting of him. And if you doubt, if you, if you doubt the team, you doubt the Sean. For you know, in, in my view, um, and you know, and it's it's been an odd one from that point. You know, if you look from you know, the bookies' odds right, to, you know, I, I, you know, don't pay attention to power rankings until you, like it's helped you inform how good teams are, but. You know, you know, they, they give you a sentiment of you know of, of media perspective. So you know, you look at all that and you think, I think it was a good point to take stock of what you know how lucky and and how and how blessed we are to have a guy like that in our franchise, from his character right through to you know his potential. Now, I would I would argue he's probably getting paid on what he what the, the team expect him to become, rather than some of the highs and lows and inconsistencies that we have seen over the last few years. But I think it was a great moment, and you know, I think it was it was uh, the press conference and the effort that the, the club went into to, to setting all that up it gave back something to somebody who put so much in there. I thought definitely. I mean, it was a fantastic moment. The, the Texas media department did a really, really good job there of setting that up and surprising him with his obviously his family and Dabo Swinney and others. I mean. It was a really, really nice moment to sort of, like you said, take stock and sort of take a, take a step back and see, look what he's accomplished. Look what the Texans have accomplished in that regard. I mean, they finally got their franchise QB. We had to go through the the Fitzpatricks, the Osweilers, the Hoyers, the Mallets. I mean, come on, it's been a painful few years. So to finally have that franchise QB who wants to be in the city, who likes working for O'Brien, who the team can always rely on. I mean, he plays through pain all the time. I mean, remember his punctured lung not too long ago. I mean, he, he is what you want in a franchise player. And so I'm, I'm d d delighted they got the deal done. It was good timing from Houston's point of view because it means they don't have to go into the season with any sort of, or oh, what's Watson's situation, what's Cunningham's situation, what's Tunsil's situation. It's all been cleared up. It's all ready to go. So there's no distractions anymore. 
And it's great. I mean, he won't have to prove himself. And I mean, if they'd waited another year, they would have had to have paid a lot more to keep him. So it's good timing from their point of view. It was a difficult one, wasn't it? Because they waited for the Dak Prescott one to yeah. set the floor. That never, that floor was never set. And Mahomes raised the ceiling in a sense. But when you actually look at the numbers and the cash flow in the first three years, there's a significant advantage to Watson in that. So I think the Texans definitely made some concessions to, to make that happen. Definitely. I think, but the flip side is I think you've got to, you know, we've all got to understand and, and probably why this season and next really, um, you know, it's 21 and then 22 with, with the real cap dollars really kicking in 22. Yep. But I, 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 if, you know, I think the biggest criticism of, of Houston and Luke, the injury in 2017, you know, hampered that progress. And, and, you know, there's not, you know, it's beyond your control um, in, in that sense. But they, they have not taken advantage of the window that is, you know, the, the cheat code, if you like, for a rookie quarterback um, on a cheap deal to build and build and build as much quality as you can around them um, and, and take advantage, you know, of that, of that, you know, below, below cap dollars to performance on the field. So, I think we, you know, as we, as it's a crowning moment, I think because we've secured that, you know, the, the leader of the franchise till twenty twenty five. But we've just got to bear in mind that, you know, the the quality of the roster will erode if we do yep. not continuously hit on draft picks, um, and we we won't have much room for error as the years go on. You know, with Tunsil on twenty two, you know, with Watson on thirty nine and a half or forty, whatever it rounds up to. So, you know, we've got significant, we've got a significant amount of big cap dollars they do the good thing from houston's point of view is that i would say they're in a better position than the likes of say i mean complete other end of the scale la rams were in when they re-signed goff i mean the texans have still got 11 million in cap space they renegotiated zach fulton's contract they did renegotiate blackson's earlier on as well they've freed up quite a bit of space so they're sort of mid-table in the league in terms of cap space even though they've just obviously re-signed those three key players so i think they to O'Brien's credit, it's hard for me to credit him sometimes because obviously there's so much negativity around him. And obviously so many people focus purely on, say, the Hopkins trade. He's done a good job in terms of negotiating the cap space and getting everyone signed that needed to and, and making sure there's still enough space for where they can pick up players if they need to. He's, I would say he's he's been pretty successful in that regard. See, I think he deserves a lot of credit because they're, they're in a much healthier position than other teams who are in the same sort of situation. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, you know, pointed at the Chiefs and said, you know, you know, you can they had a you know a hundred dollars space or whatever they managed to manipulate <laughs> the, the structure. But but the reason why they did that was because Mahomes took a hugely friend home home team friendly yeah hometown discount deal in terms of cash flow, and also so did Chris Jones, and that was how they could sign those guys, and then that allowed them to create some buffer room to extend Kelsey. So. Deshaun's agent didn't take that approach and they wanted a shorter deal. So by the time he's 30, 31, he can renegotiate and reset. Now, look, that Mahomes deal did get done, I would think, at latest six years in there. Um, but I think the the change that we'll have to all accept is that we will have, you know, the roster composition will vary. But look, ultimately, if Deshaun, you know, hits, hits his potential that we all know and think he's got, you know, in his locker then, you know, a lot of that all pales in significance in a league of have and have nots. But it was a good moment. Um, and we'll, we'll certainly, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll certainly see how, you know, that progress and that faith in the franchise that's been paid into a young man who was, you know, hugely grateful for the trust more than anything else he said in his quotes. Yeah. Um, was that that he was he was grateful for that and, 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 the, and the fact that they'd given him the reins and somebody from Gainesville, Georgia, don't, doesn't make it out, as he said. So it was a good, it was a really sort of beautiful moment in many it ways. It really was. Um, but I think the the uh, 
you know, the hard work starts now because he's not won anything in that. And I'm sure there's nobody more that that pains in him. And that's why he's been paid that money. And the Absolutely. reason why, you know, and the reason why we, we, we had to move at Hopkins and you saw the, the deal or the, the two-year extension who yes. himself negotiated just as Larry Tunsil did. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you got to give Hopkins a lot of credit there because that's that's not an easy thing to do. And same with Tonsil. I mean, they've both really stood up for themselves and gotten what they wanted out of it. But there was an interesting tweet after he, it was made an official that Texans cap put out there. This really does put a different light on what the Texans got back from this deal. I mean, was it a great deal from Houston's point of view? No, obviously no one wanted to see Hopkins go. But at the same time, if that's the sort of money he was wanting, Houston weren't going to be able to, they're not in a position where they could have renegotiated a contract like that. It was, it was Hopkins or Watson at the end of the day, given the money that obviously has gone to Watson now. So they had to prioritize. And given the size of the extension, they, the Cardinals have had to sign him to, of course, no other teams were willing to part with, say, a first round pick, given the amount of money they were about to have to spend on him as well. Well, that says is what works out twenty seven point two five million a year. I think Julio Jones was averaging twenty two, twenty three. So, you know, he's put a, a significant premium now. Albeit the APY has infamously still got you know another <laughs> another three years on on his on his deal that he'd already signed that he took all those guarantees up front and then started to not like the deal when the guarantees came in. So, yeah. you know, there's been huge criticism of that and to the point where, you know, I, I, I probably do become defensive of the franchise because in that way, and I wouldn't normally do that, but in that sense, you know, as you said, um, yeah, Troy from Texans Cap tweeted that out. Of course, you know, and of course it does. And, you know, and, and I've been saying this all season, I've done many podcasts, it was a counterintuitive situation that people would not trade for a, a top three wide receiver with significant draft capital more than Arizona did because they didn't want to pay the money. And no. I think hopefully now people will see that, but I don't think they will, because I think people love the, the easy rhetoric they just pick up and run with. Exactly. So, you know, I think, and, yeah, O'Brien will, O'Brien will get the flat for that until the, days, until, uh, until the day he retires, I think. And let's, and let's be honest, everyone loves to hate on, on Trader Bill. I mean, especially on social media, everyone loves it. They love to rip on him. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not delighted with a lot of the moves he's made, but at the same time, a lot of credit has to go to him, because... Yes, there's holes on this roster, but at the same time, I mean, this offense, I cannot wait to see it on the field. There's a lot to look forward to if you're a Texans fan. We set up this episode. Um, it's been a long, uh, old preseason, as we said. So um, we asked out if you, anybody would want to send in there are questions so we can answer them. I think there's been a lot of kind of, you know, padding and filling by, by many podcasts <laughs> to, try and, to try and get your way through. And there's a lot of points you can talk about, but I think we, we asked um, out, out for a listener question. So thank you, everybody that sent those in. I was really humbled the amount of people that sent in questions. So thank you very much for that. Um, myself and Andy are going to run through these and we'll, we'll just ping out. So I'll start with this one, Anthony. If you give me the answer and then you can ask me one and we'll, we'll run through it like that. So, I mean, just, just pick, pick, pick it random. We've got it. We've got a fair few to select with, so we'll do our best to read all your questions out if we can get through them, um, providing there's no overlap. So the, I think the one one that uh, was sent in was from Scottish Texans, and that, that was uh, which area did the team not improve this off season? Cornerback. I do like I, I do like the addition of John Reed, but they definitely could have done with a bit of an upgrade there, a, a, a clear out and out number one cornerback would have been great. I'm glad they re-signed Roby, but you still don't look at that group and say there is a, a star in there. There is a top 10 cornerback in that group. I don't think they have. 
Yeah, the guy, the name's escaping me, but uh, he went he went from Denver to the Chargers. Is it Harris? Um, Chris Harris, yep. Chris oh, Harris, I, I would, yeah. love, would have loved that. I think he reportedly turned us down after all the Hopkins furrow as well. So, I, I, you know, again, reported, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, I, th- I agree with that one, Anthony. Let's have a look. Next question then from Graham Henderson. Hi, Graham. Uh, which position group improved this offseason with acquisitions or return to health? Controversial one, but I think we've got a good chance of improving at running back and not necessarily yep. not necessarily David Johnson or Duke Johnson is going to run for over a thousand yards because you know Carl I think that showed you the probably the years of mismanagement under the O'Brien era of running backs we've never ever replaced Adrian Foster not that we necessarily could on no. a raw, raw talent level but never had that lead back to, to fill that position but I think I don't know I mean I mean Alfred Blue my god he was amazing <laughs> Yeah, yeah, blue for two, you know. So uh, <laughs> I think the, the the chance to run twenty personnel sets or twenty one personnel sets, or even twenty two personnel sets with two running backs, not necessarily a halfback or or Gillespie on there at fullback, is is some is a look that we could potentially catch people out and put a new wrinkle into this de- into this offense. The defense will have to account for because we've probably got two of the top three, four pass catching running backs on on yeah. our. Uh, on our roster. Now, I think that, you know, can David Johnson, it's going to be difficult for commentators that one as well, <laughs> but can can David Johnson, you know, find that one cut, you know, inside zone of, you know, stuff that he, that he made his money on and be effective. And, you know, and everybody's praised how great shape he's in and he looks like he's running with a point to prove. So I think potentially running back um, for that. And then return to health, I think that, it's difficult. I think we, we weren't, un, you know, wholly unhealthy last year, um, but obviously the biggest, the biggest health, and the biggest player, obviously aside from Watson, um, is JG Watt, and without him, we don't have a pass rush. And I think it's that simple. Yeah, and I'll admit, I think they've done a really good job with managing his reps a lot more carefully this year. I mean, they did so last year, but perhaps not to the extent they needed to. They've been really careful with just easing him in extremely slowly. And I think that's a really smart move. He looks like he's in great shape once again. So that I'm really excited to see him on the field because let's be honest, who isn't? Who doesn't want to see him on the field? Yeah, and he's still elite at this stage. You know, I think he, he, he led the league in quarterback hits for at least three or four weeks after he'd been injured, you know, in the he did. in the Raiders game. So he's still got juice. And I think he'll still have a role in this league as just a pure pass rusher. I wrote about that on an article this week. I think we'll have to get used to using him more sparingly and get him in yep. the, the mindset of, you know, you might not always play on first down. You know, you might not always play on second down if it's a short one, you know. And I think it's you just have to, you know, be smarter with him because... The ground, the grinding that his body took over that period of time, he never left the field. Even when the team were ahead late on, he was always yeah. on the field. So he'll have to get his head around that, I think. So, uh, one from Mike, um, who's joined us a lot of times on the podcast, um, chat from staff on Twitter. Um, what areas of the squad lack in depth? We've been touching this, and what players' injuries could we wreck this season? We kind of touched upon that, but. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, areas of the squad that lack in, lack in depth, defensive line. I think we all, like we mentioned it earlier, I think that's that's pretty clear to see, unfortunately. I'm, I hope we're surprised. I mean, I do expect a lot from Ross Blacklock and PJ Hall. I mean, he still had a, what, 70 PFF grade last year, which isn't bad by any means. So hopefully they can get some more out of this front line. But that is a big concern. And then again, I go back to cornerback to an extent as well. I do think they've got some good players there, especially if Conley comes back. Um, but again, if, if Johnson struggles or if he gets injured again, that's going to be a big problem back there at corner because they're still not 
not deep at the position at all. Best contract out of D4, Tonsil and Cunningham. And have contracts taken heat off of O'Brien? Back to Scottish Texans there. I don't know the heat you'll ever die of will be, I think. That's the, <laughs> I think the, the only way you can do that is uh, you'll uh, win a Super Bowl or something like that. I, I don't know. If, I, I still think even just... then, I think even then people would still have a problem with him. They'd be unhappy with how he won it or how they got to the Super Bowl. Yeah, or he would, he would win on a challenge that he should never have won or something like that. Exactly. You know, <laughs> yeah, best contract out of those, I think, yeah, I think he's going to be your quarterback. I think it, we didn't reset the market in the way Tunsil did. Um, so, yeah, getting Deshaun done, I think, you know, it's imperative you're, 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 you're with or without on that one. So, okay, uh, this is a good one, actually, from Lambeau, uh, 1985. Um it kind of touched on some of the stuff we touched on there, but do you think the NFL media are down on the Texans because we have no ex-players moved into the media? And do you think that'll improve moving forward the likes of JJ retiring? That was an interesting one when I read it and I had to think about it for a bit. I don't think that's got too much to do with it simply because David Carr, he may not be a Texans legend by any stretch, but he's been in the media now for quite some time and he's had a prominent role in it for a couple of years now. And still we don't hear a huge amount about the Texans. I mean, Look, look at the UK, for example. Jason Bell, obviously, he's been reporting in the UK for a good few years. He spent most of his career in Houston. We still don't, even over there, we don't hear much about him. So, And then JJ Watt, obviously, the last two years in particular, he's been on TV a lot, whether it's Saturday Night Live or him and his brother's show. I mean, they're still not getting the coverage they deserve. And whether that's just because the team hasn't got the history that all the others do, whether that's because perhaps they're not playing the sort of flashier football I guess you could say like the Chiefs for example do or the Rams in previous years as well there's there's a lot of questions about that and it's it's bothered me for years now that they don't get the coverage that they deserve but to be honest the same could be said of most of the AFC South I mean the Titans are still being underestimated I mean they they almost made the Super Bowl last year and still no one's really talking about them too much and that sort of goes across the division I mean Philip Rivers back in 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 Indy there, I mean, they could have a they could have a good year there, but we're still not really hearing much about it. So it just goes for the South in general, I think. Yeah, I mean, Houston's what the fourth biggest market in terms of population, yeah. Yep. but but it yeah, it doesn't get the run. I think that's just the way it is. I think um, for whatever reason, it's it's dominated by East and West Coast outlets yeah, and, and, and offices. Yeah, and Texas is dominated by the Cowboys at the end of the day there. I mean, yes, yes, the, the Texans have got a huge market there, but the Cowboys are still, in their eyes at least, America's team, and, and they still get a lot of the attention down here. Right, next one. Back to Lambeau here. We're going, is the wider respect to imbalance towards the loss of Hopkins rather than the greater balance of weapons available to Deshaun in 2020? So I think that's in, in terms of... Yeah, yeah. The balance. Yeah, the balance of, of weapons. Yeah, I, I think that's a good, a good point. I think because it's, I, I wrote about that in the article again today, and I think and I'll ask you this question, see if you know Anthony. I've brought this up another part as well. <laughs> when was the last time a team won a Super Bowl with more than thirty percent of their targets through one receiver? Oh, I honestly haven't. I could not tell you on that. Actually, are we going to actually? I'm first one that comes to mind to be honest would be St. Louis. It was the 2005 Steelers with Heinz Ward. Right? Oh, okay. There we go. So I think, now look, and look, I know Brian talked about layers and quality and things. And I think yeah. the idea, now, whether this is right or wrong, but we're just, we've just cited an example there of it's not healthy and it's predictable and it's, it's easy for teams to plan against a clear number one. 
Yeah. And if you think of all the years of Brady and all these, you know, Manning and okay, they had they did have some number ones, but the guys who can spread the ball around well to a number of different targets, the amount of times you played these teams with top end quarterbacks and it's a big third down play and they throw it to who's that guy again? You know, you're checking you're checking your team sheet. So, you know, I think it's it's a more varied and and, and broader offense in terms of play calls in big moments rather than uh, you know, go to Hopkins because I remember we iced the Chiefs game just a quick slant on the inside. Hopkins has run up, up against the safety, iced the game, nailed the game out. Fourth down in Indy the, the week after, they run the exact same play, and uh, in, uh, in the nickel uh, back from, um, from from Indy just comes in and spots the pass away because they'd watched the tape. It was too it was too straightforward. It was too simple, and it was too predictable. So the whole point is, can Watson take a step with these these receivers? Quite possibly. Um, but he's, he's going to have to take that mental development step that he needs to do to spread the ball around and not miss guys. What I will say is, I think what he's been smart in who he's brought in. He's brought in Cobb, who's a guy with a lot of experience, experience with good quarterbacks, and he's got a cool head. And the same could be said of Brandon Cooks, a very smart guy, very hardworking guy, and a very experienced guy, and somebody who's used to adjusting from system to system year on year, having been traded as often as he has. I think it's quite a smart move, and the same could be said with David Johnson. I mean, yes, he was spent his whole career at the Cardinals, but he's he's been through his fair share of offensive coordinators and different systems and and injuries as well and setbacks. He's he's been smart with who he's brought in, and and I've got a great quote here I spotted earlier from Coach Spagnolo at the Chiefs. The biggest challenge is we really don't know who the go-to guy is. We kind of knew that last year, whether that was good or bad, I don't know, because he was pretty good, obviously being Hopkins, but. It sounds and feels like they're going to spread the ball around, and that's I think he's spot on there. They're, and that's sort of what you've been saying as well. They're going to spread it around so much more. It's it's hard to predict. I like to call it the uh, obviously we got air raid offense and things like that. I'm trying to think of a name for the Texans one. The best one I can come up with is the swarm offense. Not too great, but I'm looking forward to seeing it, and I'm going to stick with that. With with a deep threat like Fuller on the field, when he came on the field, the safety the, you know the safety rotated and, and gave gave the, gave the help in behind. To, to, to cover Fuller because they were scared he was going to get in behind every time you know Watson was, was holding the ball for a couple of seconds you know he was going to go deep and and it was no coincidence in those games Hopkins you know played well and scored touchdowns yeah absolutely and it, I enjoyed watching Fuller moved inside last year and I think they're going to do the same this year to be honest especially with Cooks on the field as well and Stills can be a good deep threat as well so how on earth do you figure out who's going where if you got those three lined up I mean that's exciting yeah, you, you can just basically, you know, not all the time, but I think we've got, you know, when we're trying to go up tempo, you can just live in 11 personnel and just and rotate those guys, you know, and take, you know, take one out every couple of plays. We don't need to burden Fuller too much. You can manage his snaps and not necessarily have a drop off, but you want him to be there, you know, you know, for for the crunch time of the season, you know. So I think, yeah, it's 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 there. Like the theory is there. You know, the time will tell. Uh, the next one is from Texas España. So gracias for that. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> The um the biggest potential highlight and one negative for this offense this year. Biggest highlight, I've got to go with David Johnson. I know you talked about him earlier. I'm really excited to see him here. I think he's a good fit for what they're trying to do. He he's a good fit in terms of his running style, suits O'Brien to a T. He's 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 a very, very determined player. And from everything we've heard in terms of his press conferences, he is really driven to prove himself this year. So I'm really excited to see him in this offense. And I think he is 
clearly an upgrade on Carlos Hyde last year and, and Hyde, I mean, he had a thousand yards after a last minute trade. He fit in like a glove in the system. So if we if we get a player who's a better runner and a better receiver than him, I mean, there's no reason why he can't thrive, assuming he stays healthy. Um, and then one negative of this year's offense, I, can, I guess I'll stick with David Johnson, to be honest. If he goes down, do they have the same sort of running back available? Duke Johnson's a good runner, but he's not as good as David, so that would be a concern. I think David or Duke Johnson rather deserves more running the ball. You know when, when we're trying to you know mix up the concepts. I think because he, he broke quite a few big outside zone runs last year, and he he, yeah. he's, he is the lead that you know I talked about this with Cody Stutz a couple of weeks ago. He is the leading all-time rusher at the University of Miami. You think of all the great rushers that have been through there, but I think CJ Procise is is almost like a ready-made definitely replacement he's got all the talent he's a good pass catching back similar to both those guys um if he's healthy he, he, he's uh he's useful and i think scotty phillips i think as well he is a one cut inside zone runner as well so i think we've got two guys there on the practice squad hope they don't get you know nicked at some point from other teams but i think we've got two ready-made replacements they're interesting karan higdon didn't make the roster but i reportedly too many fumbles in training camps and ball security is not going to go down well with bill no, definitely. But I I'd completely agree. Procise, I think, is a great, great signing to that practice squad. The practice squad looks good. I think it's a pretty deep group. I mean, they've only got 14 players there at the moment. There's still two more spots. But I think there's a really good mix of experience and, and youth in that, that group. Yeah, and that this year will churn, I think, big time. Yeah, I think without a doubt. So many transactions this year. You're allowed to protect four, and then people will be, you know, you know, finding finding different uh, different backups and guys to come and fill the, the game day roster every week. Cool, right, the next one. Next one. So again, Texas, Espana. I'm not even going to try and speak Spanish. I'm sorry. It's it's just embarrassing. Uh, with all the former first rounders in the secondary, with, will this be a weak point or will it be more solid unit than last year? Yeah, the, the first round retread thing, I think, is, is a dangerous one. It's been one that, that you've seen you know, teams do in the past. Conley, I think, yeah, as we talked about, big miss. So hopefully he can come back. I did actually, I know we touched on it earlier. I did actually see a video of him uh, in the scrimmage, and he was he was hobbling on that ankle. It did yeah. not look comfortable at all. So, uh, so he he is going to miss time. Uh, so that leaves Bradley Roby, and that leaves uh, Vernon Hargreaves, which I I don't know if if I think look, I think Roby can be solid. I actually thought Roby was playing himself into an even bigger deal than he got when he went when he walked, walked off the field at Kansas City. Uh, I remember, you know, I turned around to the mate next to me. We were, we were just in the back of the end zone. And I said, "I think that's almost a blessing in some ways because the way he was playing early in the season, I thought it was going to be another AG boy situation." I had sort of yeah. similar vibes. I remember watching him in Denver one night, and he was all over the court. I think it was I can't remember if it was Emmanuel Sanders or Thomas, but he was all over him like a set of curtains, and he could not, you know, get you know get any leverage on him from at the you know from the on the scrimmage and he was you know that was the year that AG Boy in a half a season made himself a significant contract ironically in Denver now um but yeah so is it going to be better I think you know it's 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 a cliche but the secondary is married to the pass for us so if we're going to have phenomenal turnaround performances of guys in the trenches they're going to help you know the guys in the secondary just hold on that couple of extra seconds longer um, the quarterback to the ball so they can kind of keep, keep themselves in position. That's, I think, it's going to be the biggest part. I think. And has the talent improved? No, I don't think it has necessarily. It just the more scheme familiarity and all the new faces that we had last year with all the injuries we had at that at that position. 
it's it's just going to be a matter of can these guys play better together and more you know systematically, you know fundamentally sound football in the secondary and make sure they're following their assignments. We don't have too many blown coverages, so is it going to be better? Possibly not, but I think a lot of it hinges on hinges on the the, yeah, the pass rush. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that one. It, it's it's a big question mark, and it's very very hard for us to really judge that at this point, given that we just there's so little that anyone's been able to see at this point. It, it's hard to it's hard to judge, especially for me. The the biggest issue is we just don't know what to expect from Eric Murray as well. That that's that's a big hole he's having to fill there. I mean, Deshaun Gibson he, he wasn't as good as I was expecting last year, but he still wasn't bad when he was when he was healthy. So that that's uh, that that's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting one. That was an old one, Deshaun Gibson. It really was. Yeah, absolutely. I must admit, I was really disappointed to see him go. I mean, I can understand why they did it entirely. I mean, he wasn't healthy and he wasn't as good against tight ends as he has been in the past. And let's be honest, I think the Texans are still trying to replace Tyron Matthew to an extent, or even Andre Howe at this point. Yeah, Howe leaving or, or coming back from you know illness, and then and then obviously the cream the cream Jackson was the one that sticks in my throat. I think he was, he yeah. was a good physical presence that set the tone of him when we saw that last year they did not do kareem jackson justice the amount of time he was in houston and he wasn't even offered he wasn't spoken to at all to my understanding by the texans that that's that that's horrendous i think the that was a common theme of brian gain and why he was showing the door but uh yeah yeah we've got we've got the almighty leader doing both hats now so well (laughs) it's it's really jack easterby isn't it i think but uh yeah he's uh, got a big hand in this that was a big one, I think. And a lot of turnover at one position is never a good thing. Anyway, we'll go to the next one. So from Convoy NFL, biggest impact of the rookie class? I hope it's Ross Blacklock because we're relying on it. Yeah. Uh, but I think the, the point you said about, uh, you know, John Reed, he's, you know, computer science major, switched on, knows the game. And that's half the battle, isn't it? Being smart and being able to read plays and, and, uh, and and be able to get yourself in the right position, and, you know, and not waste movement. I think that's the key in the secondary. So and we also haven't we also them. haven't mentioned Jonathan Grenard. I mean, what what are you expecting from him? Well, he's hurt right now, and I think that is a big big deal. Um, he's nursing. I think it's an ankle injury. He was on the report from now. Yeah, Luke, if you've got you know transformational performances from Chuck Amenahu and uh, and Jacob Martin, and then you've got a tertiary rusher to come in. On you know, on third down, or spell those guys a bit of rest. Yeah, things start to look quite exciting. He led the, the SEC in sacks last year, and he was a transfer from Louisville. But he's a big guy, you know. So he, he I think he could, you know, he could quite comfortably play on the end of a four-man front. Um, he yeah. doesn't necessarily need to be as an outside linebacker on on the on the side of the three, either side of the three-man. So he's got potential. But I, I just think when you get hurt as a rookie and you miss time, particularly in this off season, it, it just leaves you so much catching up to. I remember when Dylan Cole got injured and again, a big linchpin to this team this year, but I remember when Dylan Cole got injured a couple of years ago when he came back, I think it was the year of the, yeah, it was 2017, I think. And he came back and he's had an interview, very, very honest appraisal. And he said, I can't describe I, I, along the lines of, I can't describe how much missing a few weeks sets you back, and how long that takes to catch up? Yeah, absolutely, and and that's I'm I'm still it's it's such a shame that we haven't been able to see more of Dylan Cole. I mean, another guy that jumps to mind then in that sort of mould is Duke Edgefor. I was hoping and yeah, we'd see some yeah. something from him this year because he is he is a talented player. There is plenty there, but we just he has not been able to find any sort of resemblance of luck in terms of staying healthy. You, you got to really feel for him. 
yeah, I mean, I'll not mention who, but the, I remember there was somebody who described Duke Edgefort as the most accomplished pass rusher in terms of moves that they'd seen at Texas training camp since JJ Watt. So I think, and the athletics, and you saw Brian say, yeah, he, you can't replace him on play. He can do a lot of things. He's not just an outside linebacker. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's probably his career, you know, without a monumental turnaround, you know, to have those two big injuries in his first two years. Um, it's, it's a big, big blow uh, for him. So I don't know. I'd love to see him come back, but yeah, I just think the, you know, the team might be moving on from that, from from the get the Wake Forest the product. Yeah, absolutely. And and as as much as I hate to say it, I'd have to agree. I, I think his time in Houston's most likely up. Right, here's a good one from Texans fandom. Is D four a true MVP candidate? Yes. Yes, without a doubt. I think especially in this offense, to be honest, I think an offense like this is really tailor-made for someone like him because even if, say, in week one, the Chiefs' defense can can stop Cooks, they can stop Fuller, and then depending on their sort of setup, Akins or Fells or whether it's Cobb, I mean, even if that's the case, what are you going to do about the Johnsons? And then if that's the case, well, then what about Watson? He He can rush it. He can, especially behind that line, he can definitely rush it and he can get some good yardage down. So I, I'm excited to see him this year because with this many options, it's really going to open up the offense and it's going to make it unpredictable. And that's that's something that I I love, in principle at least. And I think it's something that he could really benefit from because he himself, he, he is somewhat of an unpredictable player. I mean, we've seen so many plays from him the last few years where you just sort of sit there with your mouth gaping open going, how did he do that? Or what was he doing there? So I, I think this is... Maybe not necessarily this year as an MVP year, but certainly in the next couple, he is absolutely a candidate. I felt like that's the week six at the Chiefs. I thought he had a chance at that point because he had a, you know an absolute barnstormer against Atlanta at home. Yeah, you know, put up four hundred odd yards. You know, was it six touchdown passes? That that was uh, an absolute delight to watch. Yeah, and you thought this is it, you know, this is what it's meant to look like. It's all coming <laughs> together. You know, you go up to the Super Bowl favourites or the preseason Super Bowl favourites, the eventual winners, run the ball down and throw and kick them in the mouth. You know, and you think it was it was, it was, was something that you just thought, yeah, all right, this is it, coming together. And then we went to the Colts next week and laid an egg. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. It's consistency is the big thing for this team. So. Well, it's, it's all, that was also around the time when Titus Howard went down. So the offensive line had to move around a bit. And I, I think if they can keep the, this this line healthy, especially the tackles they've got a good shot of, of really making doing some damage this year yeah i've always thought you can get away with poor guard play if you've got a decent center who can talk them yeah. through the game and, you, and yep. your tackle your tackles are, are, are you know are solid look at the chiefs that's a great example got two good tackles exactly you, you probably have to look up you know, is it was a wiley was it reiter or writer is the center you know and uh, and assembly is probably going to be the three guys who we can probably attack we'll come on to that but I think yeah, I think you can get away with it. So if if, if Titus Howard and Tunsil play all sixteen games, that's big. Yeah, big time. So if Texans UK does Deshaun Watson take a leap without DeAndre Hopkins? I I suppose it depends what you mean by a leap. If he if you mean will he put up better numbers? I think he. I mean this this. I think the, I've heard a lot of people talk about with this Matt Shab record touchdown passing it's 29 or something like that for the year that has to get broken this year because i can't have to sean after four <laughs> years not breaking matt shab's touchdown and, and don't get me wrong that was an offense that ran the ball in pretty much nine times out of ten in the end yeah. zone. Uh, so he has to break that i think is, is it going to be a step forward year in terms of look i mean 
the only thing that matters to Deshaun, the only thing that matters to everybody, like he won't, he'd quite happily put aside his stats for wins. So, you know, does he take a step? Do we win 12, 13 games? That, that for me, would be a step, regardless of all the other stuff that gets you there, as long as you get there. Um, and we want to be pushing for an automatic spot. And kind of think people think we're miles away from that, but that's what a step would look like because, you know, a 9 or 10 win season is not a step because like, you've only got a quarterback to win games. So, yeah, the potential's there. And I don't think a possession receiver wins you wins you much, just like a great defensive end doesn't win you much. A good quarterback does. So um, I think I expect him to make do with the, the guys he's got. And actually, if you think of all the, you know, it was Andrew Johnson plus Kevin Walter for a long time, and that was about yep. as good as it's ever been. So we've tried to draft, you know, Braxton Miller, Jalen Strong, all these guys have never come. But actually, this is the first time you can win one, two, three, four, five, and even to six guys who have contributed in this league. Kiki QT, obviously a wild card. If you can just get his head screwed on, understand what he's maybe doing without Wes Welker talking him through. But I think it's the best weaponry we've ever had. I love love looking back at the Matt Shaw years. I must admit, I know we want Deshaun Watson to completely uh, sort of blow apart every record he ever set for Houston. But at the same time, I mean, that that 11, sort of 12 era Texan side, I remember I was at, it was Andre Johnson's entry into the Texan Sports Texas Sports Hall of Fame, and he said he was convinced that the Texans could have won the Super Bowl that year had Shorb stayed healthy. And I think he's got a good point. It's just it's so fun looking back at that era. You know, Arian Foster at its peak, Andre Johnson at its peak. I mean, Kevin Walter as well playing good, good football. I mean, that was an exciting team. And yeah, I, Owen I Daniels think, was my one. I thought he just he they, they let yeah. him go far too early. He was just you know for a guy that didn't look much or important, but his route running was pristine. I think it was brilliant. Yeah. And the defense yeah, was there doubt. as well. That was the thing, and I think that's the big difference between that Texas team and now. But a genuine contender looks like yeah, He's a really salty. You know, uh, Wade Phillips had done a great job there with that defense. I mean, they had so much sort of versatility and depth there. It was great. I just, I love the fact that Shorb's still in the league as well. Yeah. 39 and he's still at the Falcons. I think he's one of those people that just wakes up and is richer without doing too much. I think he's, uh, he's had a good, good career. I don't think he can have too many complaints, but, uh, but yeah, that he was that was an odd one actually. You think you know you think about we're talking about players, you know, like the safety's moving on. We you know we had the, obviously the issue with Derek Newton and then Dwayne Brown. Okay, Dwayne Brown was probably manufactured in actually some senses, but you know you have turnover at positions and it just it, it leaves you short because you're not expecting. And I think the the demise of his of his right shoulder slash arm was uh, yeah. was one that I just don't think anybody truly saw coming. And obviously that's you know that's why it's taken a path. But look, we're in a good position now, so. Absolutely. Um, cool. Next one. This is from uh, EH10 Stateside. Will the Texans, without a clear possession receiver, be able to sustain drives regularly enough to improve their offense? I would say yes, because they've got enough guys that they know they can rely on, like you you touched on earlier. Will Fuller, they know how, how consistent he is in terms of as a receiver. I know drops were a concern coming out of Notre Dame, but that really hasn't been a big issue in Houston, especially the last year or two. Kenny Stills is a guy a lot of us keep forgetting about, but he was so consistent last year. He didn't, he wasn't asked to do a huge amount, but when he was, he, he delivered every time. Um, and then throw in someone like Darren Fells, he was somewhat of a safety blanket, I think, especially in the red zone last year. He was so productive when they asked him to, when they asked him to really step up, which wasn't too often. So it's good to have guys like that who you know you can rely on. Randall Cobb, I'd say, is also in that bracket. An experienced player, someone who's got, plenty have had plenty of time in the league and who can deliver when they need you you need them to because like you said if you go back a couple of years especially when fuller went down who did they have at receiver 
I mean, there, there was just no depth relying on whether it's it's Stevie Mitchell or, or going back to Jalen Strong and Braxton Miller. There just wasn't any depth. I think this year, yes, they've lost arguably the best receiver in the NFL in Hopkins, but they've got so many different options, all of whom are good, consistent, experienced receivers, even in the running back group. I think they'll be able to keep these drives going despite losing him. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think there's a second question that falls on it that will the tight ends play their biggest role in 20, since 2016? You know, and I think that's partly because Osweiler couldn't see anybody else in the field. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think they do. I think they do. I think they have to as well because that sort of short and immediate stuff, if it's not going to be the slot receiver, yeah. I mean, if you look at the size of the guys, who they're not going to be the, the, a receiver core who's going to high point a lot of balls on the perimeter, back shoulder fades. So that the sort of drag routes, that, you know, the quick outs, the curls, that, you know, all those kind of stuff that tight ends make their money on i think they're going to have to be the routes that that uh, become a staple of the offense and pro and let's hope we just don't continue to bleed to death that um sort of shallow rollout dump off to the tight end play that we just uh we did we did till uh, everybody knew it was coming in well that's the good thing about this tight end group and especially i mean that, that does also put the sort of spotlight on kahale wearing that bit more now that thomas is gone but Waring and, and Aikens in particular, they're both good receivers and they're both, Waring in particular is a really agile guy. He's pretty quick as well. He's absolutely rapid. So it's, it's, he, he really needs to step up this year. He has to hit the expectations that he came into this league with. So it, it, it could be a big year for this tight end group. They've got plenty of talent there. A bold prediction for you. I'm going to say now, and I might be wrong, but I think Dylan Stapleton... James Madison, rookie, comes in and makes some catches for this team this year at some point. Yep, I'd, I'd agree with you on that one. I mean, O'Brien loved everything he saw out of him in, in training camp. He was one of the players that he kept pointing out from time to time. Yeah, they've um, waved injured him. I think there's a shoulder complaint or something like that. Yeah. So hope, I, I, you kind of hoped it was one of those ones where you've got a sore shoulder, haven't you? There's some money. We'll bring you back one of the practice squad at a later date. <laughs> I hope, you know, because you see that happen quite a bit. So... That'd be an interesting one. Right, we'll move on to, we've got some more general questions now. In comparison to other teams, will lack of fans help or hinder the Texans? And that's from Convoy NFL. Do you know, when we were looking at this schedule and before we knew fans weren't going to be allowed into the stadium, um, I, you know, looked at the state, you know, the, the, looked at the slate and I thought, we've got a lot of midday games. Now, NRG, and a lot of stadiums on the road bar, maybe a small handful. I don't think there's, I don't think you can necessarily say it's a definitive home advantage at all points. Um, I think there's a there's a decibel level you're only allowed to pump sound into the into the stadium this year. Obviously, Kansas City, you're going to have what sixteen thousand. I think it works yeah. out. Um, so there'll still be some noise. I uh, I saw an article. I think it was in the Athletic about. You know, Houston had the biggest swing of, of home performance versus away performance. And like I, I was at the Atlanta game last year and midday kickoffs in Houston take a while to fill up. It takes till about midway through the second quarter to get yeah. everybody in the crowd get going. It's got a little bit of a country club feel. The nighttime games, yeah, different prospect. Primetime football, you know, I think in most stadiums, you know, it gives people a lot more time to get settled in and, and have a few and uh, make a bit of noise. But I think that I don't necessarily see in it being an issue for, you know, teams apart from, you know, like Seattle, Kansas City to a degree. I mean, that was a loud stadium I've been to. Um, yeah. I, I don't think there's too many that have a true, true home field advantage in terms of 
in terms of noise, uh, in, in terms of kind of you know making people go to silent snap counts. Now, is the the decibel level going to be loud enough that you can't hear your own snap count? I don't think it will be. I wouldn't. I wouldn't imagine so. So I, I I think it's a complete mixed bag. I think it comes down to to talent. But the teams that are disciplined and self-motivate themselves will be the ones. Because you, you saw Bradley Roby today talking about, you know, he sort of predicted he thinks there'll be some sloppy tackling early. Now that often happens in the later in the season when they stop tackling. So it could be a terrible year for the for the art of the tackle. Um, but I, I don't I, I don't <laughs> I don't know if it's, you can say definitively it'll make any material impact for for teams. I don't, I, you know, I, you know, for example, are you are, do you feel any better about playing Baltimore at home with nobody there? I th- I think yes, at least to an extent. More so, though, to be honest, the Chiefs. I mean, especially coming up with the first game since the Super Bowl, their fans will would have been hyped up, and they're still gonna be. The fans that are there will be, but and and the players really draw from that in that sort of situation. So I think if anything, week one it will definitely benefit the Texans at least to some extent. Places like Baltimore as well it is another good example of somewhere where it could well have perhaps a minimal impact. But I certainly don't think it's it's a big enough change to where it's really going to impact how the Texans perform. Yeah, it's a tough one, I think. Next one is Gentleman Punk. Is the lack of preseason going to impact the Texans considering they have two new or three new offensive coordinators? I would say the only one I'm ever so slightly concerned about is Anthony Weaver. The reason being he hasn't called plays before. Obviously, he's had a big part to play in this Texans defense for a good few years under Cronell. But Tim Kelly was sharing responsibilities with O'Brien to an extent last year. And he's he's been eased into the role quite nicely. So I think he's going to be perfectly comfortable. Him and Deshaun have been working together a lot. Um, Tracy Smith, I'm not worried about either, simply because he's been working under Brad Seeley for so long. There's going to be very little difference between the two of them. It's, it's going to be a, a almost identical special teams unit, as far as I'm concerned. And the same will go for Blake Alling as well. The only one I'm slightly worried about is Anthony Weaver, especially if injuries do start to hit them and that lack of depth is slightly exposed. I think that could be a slight issue, but he's such a smart guy. It, it, I don't see it taking him long to adjust. I think I think it was Vic Fangio was, uh, in the media the other week and he said, look, at this stage, you're just not going to have any idea or the mildest inclination of what you're like at running the ball, attacking or defending it. Uh, and I think that's going to be a bit of a stark wake-up for a lot of people. You know, All right, okay, we're not as good as... As we thought. Um, if the Texans lose both their opening games, considering Indy's start, Jacksonville, Minnesota, Jets, Chicago, Cleveland, Cincinnati, are they in danger of chasing the South until week 13? That's from Jim W87A. I think so. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. And I, we actually talked about that in the podcast. We had the, the guys from Bringing the Juice uh, in Indianapolis Cold podcast from a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about that. They are... If you were to pick the teams on the schedule and place them in an order, not necessarily quite like that, where you've got a new quarterback setting into a new system, and you need some kind of games where you've got that, but you know more room for error. Um, Definitely, maybe Minnesota side, Cleveland, who knows, Cincinnati could be you know very different prospect to what they were. But I think if you look at that schedule, I thought you know, and another bit of another prediction for you since we're on the eve of the season, it's been a long, a long wait, right? I thought all off-season long we'll go 0-2 to start this off. So if we do that, then all of a sudden, you know, Indy win five of those or four of those out of the six. It's uh, it's a lot, you know, it's a, it's a, it's harder to chase than it is to, or is it harder to leave than chase? I don't know. I think, I think 
it will motivate us to, to play well down the stretch. And a lot of the divisional games are, you know, wedged in the back end of the schedule. But obviously we play them, go to Chicago, and then we're back down back down to Indy uh, within within three weeks. So that, that'll be probably where it d- defines it for a lot of us. But yeah, I think we've, we've got a chance to be chasing them, um, which will be new, I think, for us, apart from probably, uh, you know, the 2018 season where we went 0-3 and then we, we won nine in a row. But I can't, probably can't see us winning nine in a row this year. In this get, don't think the schedule and the matchups are as favourable as it was that year. No, I think optimistically we're looking at maybe, maybe ten and six at best. I think nine and seven is far more realistic. It is a tough start to the season. I think there's a good run of games after that. I think it's third or fourth game where they could well get a few wins in, but it's a concern. I mean, India is definitely a concern this year. Again, it's hard to. It's hard to know exactly what to expect from an offense that has a rookie running back, Jonathan Taylor, who it could really, it could be a a really, really good addition to that team, and and change that offense to an extent. But in Rivers, you just don't know what to expect. Are we going to get the Rivers of the last two years or the Rivers of three, four years ago? I mean, is there has he still got plenty of juice left? I kind of hope so because who doesn't want to see more of that? But at the same time, from Houston's point of view. We just got to hope that he he's he carries on the form of the last two years. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right, and I think the, the final one in terms of before we move on to the Chiefs is Colts or Titans. Who do you think? So? Who's your biggest concern right now? Titans, especially with Clowney. That defense is is looking good. I know, obviously, they they got rid of Gerald Casey, which was a bit of a an interesting move at best, but that defense is pretty pretty loaded for the most part. I mean, that backfield, it, that uh, secondary rather is good and. The offense, I, I don't, I'm not 100% on simply because I'm not, I'm still not convinced that Tannehill is going to prove to be the long term option at QB. I, I wonder if now he's got his deal and his starter position is sort of secured, is he going to have the same motivation that he had last year? It, it, I'm really not sure on that one. Derek Henry, I think, is one easily, easily one of the best backs in the league in the top sort of two, three. I, he's fantastic. Um, but that line, I mean, they started off the season pretty poorly last year. Can they pick up from where they finished off? From his point of view, absolutely. But it, it's another bit of a question mark there. And outside of AJ Brown, I mean, how many receivers you really look at in that offense and say, yeah, absolutely, I could completely rely on them. So I think if the defense can can live up to the, the standards I think we're expecting of them, then definitely the Titans. Yeah, I... <laughs> The clowny complexion, I think, puts just so just a just even if you just purely take his run stuff and ability, yeah. you know, and yep. look, I, you don't know what 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 fitness he's in, but like I think the, the biggest you know criticism this guy doesn't work hard enough, but that's because you know I think it's it's as difficult as it is for people to probably get their head around. This guy got to the NFL without trying. He's that much yeah. of an athlete, you know. I don't think he's not worked anywhere near as hard as some of the guys that have got there just to make a practice squad because he didn't have to, you know. And I think he was just blessed with, you know, a God-given ability that he's an athlete, you know. And he, he he's what's he two sixty? It's just pure muscle, and he and he can yeah. move. Um, I it was interesting they didn't get back to. Seattle. I thought it was funny that the Baltimore obviously were trying to do a, a sign and trade deal with Jacksonville. Cleveland were trying to do a, a or yep. Cleveland were going to be the, the byproduct to, to, to take, get a draft pick back from the, the, uh, the Saints. So I would much rather he ended up, well, yeah, I would rather he ended up the Saints. So to be in the division, it'd be interesting to see if he can, if he, he can rebase his perception of himself. But I, I, I think he'll have a similar season to what he did 
uh, for Seattle, and he was very like that in Houston as well. There was games where you could see from the first minute he's going to make some plays today. And there were you games know, you saw that. Yeah, and there was games he went missing, and there was games that he lost focus. Yeah. Yeah, I think being with Robel again should help him. In theory, it should definitely help him. But I find it interesting that he was offered what a two-year deal for more money by Houston, and he turned that down, expected to make more. And he's ended up going to, to Tennessee and essentially losing money. I mean, based on what he would have gotten in Houston, it's 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 an interesting insight into what players Houston, really value themselves at. It's the same with Carlos was, Hyde. He was so badly advised by Buzz Cooks. Now, he's now split oh, up Buzz Cooks again. If you ever read any of the Steve McNair stuff, you yeah. probably get a bit of uh, insight into Buzz Cooks and a bit of an old school age. But he was terribly advised. I believe it was somewhere between 18.4 million, I think, what the Texans offered him APY. How many years? Yeah. I've never quite seen that right there. Now, I know the Browns offered him a number of one, two, and three year deals all in that region, turned that down as well. So I think he thinks he's going to come and kick the doors in. And, exactly. Uh, and they might get a playoff run and get a big deal. I think the only way he gets a big deal is if, you know, the Titans go. You know, one further than he did last year. Um, he he has got to have a big year this year yeah. if he's going to get anything like the money that he was led to believe yeah. he was going to get. And people don't want to pay the money unless you and look at sacks versus TFL. If you look at his TFLs, he's up there with the with the elite. Um, and, oh, you know, without TFLs a doubt. versus sacks is you know the net effect is the same when yep. you tackle a running back or a quarterback in the backfield. You know, it's second and fourteen. You know, whoever goes down. But I I think that. He, he might not do it, but I think from a, a run-stuffing point alone, that's what concerns me. I think Indianapolis have got a, a broad roster of young players. They do. They but do. I think both teams have the weakness of not necessarily being that great at corner, and we could take advantage of all these teams if we can just stay consistent. Uh, I must the- admit, Rocky Arsene was a little bit disappointing for me last year. I was expecting big things from him, but it just didn't really materialise. Yeah, I think yeah, I think they didn't. I don't think they expected him to drop when he did. They were sitting top of the second round, picked him up. So he's the number one corner now, and I think after that is is uh, there's not a huge amount. So look, I think both teams have got better defenses than us, and I think it will just come down to how again will be the story of the 2020 season of can we outscore them on offense, and and can the yeah. defense just do enough to not get us beat? Exactly. It's going to be, it's interesting how we sort of, the t- tables have turned, go back a couple of years and Texans were having to rely on their defense to do as much as physically possible to get them through games. It's it's completely the opposite now. And it's it's pretty much the same around the division. Texans are relying on their offense and you could argue that Titans and, and uh, Colts are both relying on defense to an extent. I think two things just based on this question, I think the week 17 game will mean something when we host it, Tennessee. Yeah. And I think three teams will go to the playoffs in this division. I think it's too obvious for it not to happen. I can, I can back that. I can definitely back that. I would not be surprised. Right. So we'll move on to the Chiefs then. Um, the world will be watching, Anthony, Thursday night football. <laughs> uh, there's going to be no hiding places for anybody. Um, God, probably the wait. most anticipated game since probably the, the, the break since probably 9-11. I think there's going to be a lot of emotion on the field. I think, yep. you know, with the... With pro, you know, with the players, you know, making a, a peaceful and positive protest, it, it uh, is some of the injustices that O'Brien's been very vocal and shown some fantastic leadership of this franchise, um, and done his players yeah. proud. I think, and I think that you know, will you know, as many coaches have done, you know, but I think it's got a chance to galvanise them now. I think Deshaun plays his best, you know, in the bright lights. I I said this on a podcast a couple of weeks. Ago. I think this game's got a very high likelihood to be. 
very similar to week one last year that was Monday night football against the Saints. That was a great game, and, and I really hope that's the case. Obviously, I want a different outcome for the Texans, but Kenny Stills, I think, he still really stands out for me that game. He's he's what I remember most about that. He just sort of exploded on the field at one point. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how this ends up going this week. I think, as I said, I, I do think the Texans will be helped at least a little bit by the lack of fans in the stadium, or at least a, a lesser amount. It's going to be incredibly tough because we all know how motivated the Chiefs are going to be to prove themselves. That's that's without a doubt at this point in time. And they're near enough the same team they, they faced last year. And let's be honest, they were somewhat demolished by in the playoffs. I mean, the Texans are going to be wanting revenge. The Chiefs are going to be wanting to prove their worth and prove their back and that this is this is their Super Bowl to keep. So it's going to be a great game. And, and I agree, this is, this is something... Even non-Chiefs and Texans fans are looking forward to. I think this is just something that sports fans in general are looking forward to. It's a return to some level of normalcy. Um, and like you mentioned, O'Brien, I think, has definitely done the city proud in terms of how he's been handling these these peaceful protests recently and how he's been backing his players and, and praising them for being so smart and so educated and wanting to help and wanting to make a difference. It's great to see a coach backing them so publicly and obviously he kneeled with them in the past as well I would not be surprised if that happens again him and Andy Reid both have been very vocal in, in backing their players and it's going to be I'm very interested to see what they do pre-game that's that's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on is what sort of stand do they make before the game what sort of statements do they make before the game as well definitely something to keep an eye on but how can anyone not be excited about this a final return to football that a couple months ago, no one knew if it was going to happen this year. Yeah, it feels like, and as I said before, I think I, I've long held the assertion or the opinion that I think we might go into the start of the season and still have a, you know, by you know, reasonably speaking, in terms of we can get to the, you know, to the, the yeah. playoffs, it's it's a it's a successful season now. You know, to not do that, um, and you know, and split the, the first two games would be ideal. Um, I think everybody would take that right now. Whether it's you know this one or week two, I the the concern for me is that not that not that I think in terms of the matchups, if you think of how we are built versus how our opposition is built in the first three weeks, I fancy our chances to take this Chiefs defense on. You've got Traverius Ward, who's been a number of teams, is the starting cornerback. Rashad Breeland is suspended. And the rest of the guys, yep. you know, I think are also runs and are young players that haven't played much football. So that should give us an advantage. Now we know from you know the, the probably one season where the Texans had some okay safety play that <laughs> safety can cover up a lot. You know, and, and Juan Thornhill and Tyron Matthew are you know are, proved to be a really good tandem. And hope you know if 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 Thornhill comes back from that injury that Son missed, you know, the latter half last year, you know, they'll be in good shape. But I, I feel like we're set up to attack and, and potentially hang with them. And I think the biggest criticism, you know, albeit obviously the defense imploded and you know we blew that 24-point lead. But at, at the same time, I felt the offense should have shouldered some of that blame as well because the one drive that Watson scrambled in the second half, they didn't do anything. So no. I think they have to they have to consistently move the ball. And how did they do that in week six? Albeit um Jones wasn't playing, but in week six. They, they choked the clock, they held time of possession, just like 
the Colts beat them the week prior and they lost two games at home. And you think at that point, you probably didn't see them fancy them fully as, you know, clear Super Bowl favourites or, you know, would you said they definitely got into win at that point? Probably you wouldn't have. But I think in what will be a, a turning point of our season and it'll be the great test against what's not really a great front and it's not the best linebackers. Now, Willie Gay's a wild card. He could come in and he could play like, you know, he could be the next Luke Keekley. Obviously, he, he dropped because... He punched a teammate and he was suspended from his team, and that's why he was. That's why he, he, he dropped as <laughs> far as he did. But um, I think can we run the ball? And this is going to be a big test. As we, we don't know if we can run. You know, no team knows because they've not really been going full go in our preseason. So can we run the ball and keep Mahomes off the field? Because that's how you know you know the the Patriots beat them in the playoffs the year prior when Mahomes is you know first starting season when he threw you know fifty touchdowns. The Johnsons are going to be absolutely key. If if somehow the Texans can come out that first week with a win, even even if, and you could argue when they lose that second game to the Ravens, that still puts them in a pretty, in a much more comfortable position than I think most people are predicting. I, I had them going zero and two first two weeks and then beating the the Steelers in week three. If if somehow they can't come out with that uh, that sort of first three games with two wins, they they've got to feel really happy with themselves. It's going to be a big big week, and it's only week one, but it is already going to be really important to set the standard for their season and to really make their mark and, and make a statement to the rest of the NFL. Which, as we've touched on, isn't really watching the Texans, isn't giving them much of a second thought. Yeah, and you touched on Weaver. I think he's going to have to strike such a fine balance between do you. You know, do you go nickel? Do you go in big dime, or do you go in? Do you go in a in a package that you, you put an extra DB in to try and cover these? You know, these guys in the outside, whether it be McCall Hardman or uh, whether it be uh, Watkins or uh, or Tyree Kill. You've got all these guys to 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 cover and behind. Do you do you take somebody out the line of scrimmage and dare them to run it and see what Clyde Edwards Hilaire's got? Absolutely, and I think someone who who's going to have a He's going to have a big part to play in it. For me, is is um, Dylan Cole. I mean, he's he's got plenty of skill in terms of pass coverage as well as as just general run defense. So he's someone I think who's going to have to step up. He, he, we've we've all seen what he can do on special teams, and we've all seen flashes of what he can do on defense. He, he's got I think two career interceptions, and I think he had one defended pass last season, which which was lower than the last couple of years, but. He he has shown that ability to not necessarily wreak havoc in the past game, but certainly have an impact on it. And if he can take a step up there, and hopefully if Cunningham has taken a step forward in that regard as well, that's really going to help cover up the holes in this Texans secondary. If Lonnie's forced outside because of Conley going down, who do you think the do you think the give somebody specific to Kelsey or do you think they try and play a bit more of a blended zone and try and bracket him a bit rather than just putting the man on man? I think it's got to be a blend. I, I don't think they've got one man that they they can comfortably stick on in the whole time. Lonnie Johnson was, he would be ideal in that position given how physical and how big and strong he is. At the end of the day, they, they don't have that luxury. They're going to have to mix it up. John Reed is going to be forced in there from time to time. I don't know really what to expect from him. I don't think anyone does in terms of his his physical traits. So that's going to be very interesting to see how he faces up against him. But Eric Murray is someone who's also going to have to take a big step forward. He, he's really going to have to make his mark on this defense from the get-go because they have a big hole there to fill and a big guy to cover. And it's not going to be easy, but they're going to have to share, share the blame, essentially. I thought... They, they... 
well, it would be a show of faith in AJ Moore, but and I don't know how much three safety um, sets they'll play. I think you know, Cronell was a fan of it, but I'm, I'm not necessarily sure the Weaver's outlook on it. But my thought was maybe Justin Reed and just say go on, give it your best shot, see what you got, and uh, and cover him because if you watch the the, the number of targets, you know, because you think Tyreek Hill, great receiver, but he he didn't have that many more yards than Duke Johnson did all-purpose last year. So he doesn't actually see the ball that much, the volume of the offense, the short, sharp stuff. They don't really have a a pure slot guy that, that, you know, that that takes a lot of the the underneath stuff away from them. A lot of it goes through Kelsey. So I think... I don't. I don't know if they just if they bracket them or do they or do they just or do they just play a bit but mixture of zone and man and try and confuse them. I don't know how how successful you will be, but my thought was just Justin Reed or potentially Eric Murray. But I think Reed would be a good one and say, look, you're probably our best secondary player. Um, now you're oh, fully healthy. Doubt. Yeah, go and go and give it what you've got and get do everything you can to stop that guy playing because I remember they did that with AG Boy and AG Boy had a great game against them and then. And uh, that was the start of his great year. And, you know, and you didn't really necessarily see that coming. That was something they planned out. So I, I've got a feeling they might just, just just pick somebody and say, look, go for it. And you know what? They might just say, Lonnie, round three, on you go. Give it again and we'll, and we'll do what we can on the outside with, you know, Hargreaves and and, uh, and and whoever else. But I, it kind of leaves you short as outside corners. I don't know. But, but we'll see. I think that's going to be a big thing as well. And I think that the, one of the, the bits in the playoffs that really disappointed us was just set the edge and don't let Mahomes scramble. You know, set the edge yeah. and make sure we've got, you know, a good discipline in our rush lanes and we're not overreaching to get stuff. And look, if we just have to rush four or five for the majority of the time, we bring the odd blitz on obvious passing downs, I think that's fine. But I think being over aggressive could be the undoing, Anthony Weaver, if he push if he tries to push all the cards at the table too early and too often. And the, another big question mark is the health of of Lonnie Johnson at the end of the day as well, because he is limited this week, as is Philip Gaines as well. So that cornerback room is even thinner at this point in time. So that that is another concern: is what is the condition of Johnson at this point in time? Is he how healthy is he? So it's it's a really questionable secondary at this point in terms of outside. Justin Reed easily the best player, and and someone I'm really looking forward to seeing because he's actually healthy. I mean, we all forget quite how injured he's been the last few years. I mean, he is. He's played through a lot of pain. So to actually see him on the field completely healthy, that's exciting. Yeah, and I think no, probably no player is fully healthy at probably any point, you know, after a couple of games. But yeah, I think he's got to take a big step. And as you said, the guys around them and how much, you know, how much can they disguise the coverages and do what they can. But I, I don't think you're necessarily going to get Mahomes to make big mistakes. But otherwise, I think it's, it's going to be something that we're going to have to play our way into the game, play it safe, and just don't try and let them break too many big plays early in the first half. Because if you do that, it's a long, it's a long way back. And you don't want you know, Watson sitting back in the pocket and, and taking hits because he's, you know, he's trying to force it downfield. We just need to have a, a sure approach that keeps us in the game and we don't get too desperate on either side of the ball. Because you can do that against you know, the lesser teams, but when we're playing you know, the, the top tier of AFC, we're gonna ha- you know, we're gonna have to, it's going to have to be a sure and steady approach and we can't go chasing a game early you know, or, or even, or even you know, into the second quarter. We just need to take our time, stick to the game plan and make sure we're not... You know, overstretching herself and, and, and exposing some potential weaknesses because man for man, they're a better team than us, and I think we just, we just need to we need to get some luck. I think like we did in the first game, and, and keep them keep Mahomes off the field, and that all coming together is a lot of a lot of ifs, but that gives us a chance. It's a lot of ifs and buts, but like you said, I mean, look look no further than the first game last year. I mean, they the Texans came out the blocks 
and 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 just went for it from the first, from from the get go, and they kept Breeze off the field. So if they can replicate some of that, they they've got every chance. Yeah. So final question, we'll wrap up the, the show with Anthony. It's from King Ruben. He says, "What are the chance of beating the Super Bowl champs, and how will that impact the season if the Texans pull off the upset?" If the Texans pull off the upset, that will make them a lot more comfortable entering the next three or four weeks. They have got a tough run of it. Their roster, their, their schedule rather, is not an easy one this year. Um, but if they can pull off the pull off the upset, it will take a lot of the pressure off of the next two or three weeks, I think, and it will also put a lot take a lot of the pressure off of of Deshaun Watson and and these other guys we've now signed. Obviously, these these enormous deals take a bit of that, a little bit of that pressure off, take a little bit of the a few of the question marks away as to how this offense is going to run, and and just let it let it happen naturally. I think if they can pull off an upset, it will it will put them in good stead without a doubt. Yeah, it will need to be an upset, um, but hopefully um, we'll be we'll sitting next week talking about a Texans victory. Um, thank you very much again for joining, Anthony. Thanks very much for your time. Um, you can follow you where on Twitter? Absolutely. Thanks very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, on Twitter at ARWoodNFL. Um, all our work over at Sports Illustrated is at Texans at SI or just at SI now. Um, yeah, thanks ever, ever so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, no, always a pleasure to talk Texans. Um, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. So thanks again, Anthony. We'll have to have you back on. Hopefully, we're talking about a successful season. It all starts Thursday night football. The Texans will take on the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium. There will be some fans there, most of us watching from home, but it's a big step in, into the unknown for all of us. And hopefully, the method and the madness and some of this offensive change pays dividends and we see the Sean take us to victory. So thanks again for joining us. You can follow us at Podcast Texans and check out our latest articles reviewing the offense and the defense at podcasttexans.com and we'll speak to you next week, hopefully reviewing a Texans win.